It would spoil things if you should give me anything. You're a strange girl, Charlie. Why would it spoil things? Because we're not just an uncle and a niece. It's something else. I know you. I know that you don't tell people a lot of things. I don't either. I have a feeling that inside you somewhere there's something nobody knows about. Something nobody knows? Something secret and wonderful. I'll find it out. <laughs> it's not good to find out too much, Charlie. But we're sort of like twins, don't you see? We have to know. Give me a hand, Charlie. Welcome to The Fear of God, episode 76. It is very difficult for me to believe that this is episode 76, <laughs> but uh, we have a conversation every week about the intersection between Christianity and the horror genre, and having that conversation with you is me, Charlie Lackey, and I'm here with my other friend, Charlie Rouse. So say hi to everybody, Charlie. Hey, Charlie. Hey, everybody. All the Charlies that are listening out there. All the, all all the, Charlies. the Charlies. Charlie all Baber. The Charlie, Charlie Brown. <laughs> Charlie oh, and Charlie the Chocolate Brown. Factory. That's his last name. That's really, that's really what that movie was. And called. the Chocolate Factory right, right, right. is his last name. You gotta yes, say exactly. it fast. It's German. <laughs> <laughs> so for those who uh, I don't know why, but for those who might be checking us out literally for the first time on this episode, our names uh, aren't really no. Charlie. <laughs> no, our names are not really Charlie. That was a pun uh, for for the film that we're talking about today. But uh, no, my name is Reed, and uh, you're my good friend of nearly two decades now. Pretty soon we'll say over two decades. Right? But, uh, but yeah. What Tell everybody we, are, your name. Are, are, uh, my name is Nathan Rouse. Are we gonna? What, oh, that's right. Have we determined what our actual anniversary date is? Like, when are we gonna be? When are we gonna suddenly be like, oh, it's been twenty years? Because we might need to celebrate that on the yeah, air. That's a good point. No, that's a good point. I would be hard pressed to determine to determine the exact uh, date and time. I am pretty sure. Correct me if I'm wrong. And listeners, this is happening in real time on here. I mean, we had met a couple of previous times just in passing, right. but the night that we like became friends was <laughs> after either a performance or striking the set of our town. Wasn't it? Or was it, was it earlier? Uh, was it midsummer? Midsummer predates it mid- our town, I believe. So it must have been Midsummer Night's Dream. It was Midsummer Night's Dream. Yes. Okay. Because because of whose house we were over at. Yeah. Right. So it's it's mid it's Midsummer Night's so Dream. So we had we met after a Midsummer Night's Dream and we that, did. Was, that was all it was, you know. Yeah. And my, uh, my proud and, Titania. Uh, so yeah. No, but so yeah, almost, so yeah, we'll have to figure out like we could maybe ninety that was like two thousand. So we're probably Yeah. Yeah. We're close. We're close. We're, we're still there. at the almost two decades. I hope, I'm confident in saying I that. I hope we make it. I mean, <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> after, no after last no week's kidding. episode, 
<laughs> so um can i yeah. can i remind our listeners what we're talking about like what we're please all right yeah, so by all means so we took a little break um it was a long bathroom break um for yes. hashtag tv guideposts we had a lot of Three fun with that break <laughs> sometimes it's just what's called for brother um, <laughs> lots of fiber um you know had a, had a really great time you know uh twilight zone a couple episodes there x-files a couple episodes there we basically converted ourselves last week on Black Mirror to the Christian faith. Um, you know, we that was a joke. Like we we got that into it. I, I need a little <laughs> affirmation here, Reed. That was the me. No, it's good. true. No, it's we, it's it's absolutely true. Last week, I can't speak for you directly, but I think you would echo like I don't think I was quite prepared for that I, conversation to be what it was. I got I got saved, <laughs> so I wasn't prepared yeah. either. Yeah. Uh, oh, so, yeah. so but right, right now it. we are pivoting back. Um, we've done one of these already. Yeah, we've done one. Yeah. Okay. Hashtag rear window. Right. Well, so, so we are, we are reengaging as we're going to do off and on throughout the year, um, with our walk through, uh, a, a number of Alfred Hitchcock movies in our, I'm, I'm still testing the waters on some of these, you know, uh, I liked hashtag Alfred letters. Um, it's a little odd though. So, um, props to Matt Wiggins for the inspiration for this one. Uh, maybe we'll try for a little bit. Um, hashtag a Hitchcock block of episodes. (laughs) 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 But I don't know if we'll stick with that because it's a lot of characters. That's a lot of characters to type out, but that'd be the only reason we'll try a little bit. That'd be the only reason to not stick with that one. But you know, maybe, maybe, (laughs) maybe, maybe that one will. Maybe that one will hang on. Um, so we are uh, a month ago-ish or six weeks ago or whenever this year started, um, we talked about Rear Window. Today, um, we are talking about a movie from 1943, I believe. 1943. I, don't, I don't have that yep. data in front of me, um, called Shadow of a Doubt. Um, yes. I know I had never seen it. I'm sure Reed had because he's seen all the things all the time, except for Par- except for Cloverfield Paradox. But then he did watch it, and it right when it came out. <laughs> um, <laughs> speaking of things that we have or haven't watched, Reed, it is time for another episode of What You're Watching. What You're Watching. What are you watching too? <laughs> What? Because so, oh, yeah. <laughs> we, we, all right, come on now. We pre-briefed this, um, this it's specific true. episode true. of what you're watching. What I just you're wasn't watching, quite. What you're watching. I know. I know. It was uh, I wasn't quite curveball. prepared for the, for the triple watching. <laughs> I just wasn't, you know, like the right. triple dog watching. I just right, not, right, right. Yeah. Right. Just not was So, uh, we are, this episode will release on the Tuesday before Oscar night. Yes. So, we wanted to, in a very... It will probably be quite brief because neither of us have seen half of the movies. Um, <laughs> right. Um, we want to do a quick rundown of, uh, you know, I, I don't know. You can you can tell us a little bit about the ones you have seen, Reed. Uh, maybe pick of the ones you've seen. Hey, this might be the one I would choose as as feature, uh, best feature. Yeah, sure, um, sure. That might be a fun little round table. I've got, I've only seen four of the nine. It is possible by the time this airs, wow. I will have increased my... Um, um, consumption there, but what about you? Where are you at? Yeah, I've seen three of the nine, okay. and it is it is highly likely uh, because of their availability on uh, you know to rent or their 
pending availability to rent by the time it comes out, uh, that I will have seen at least three or four more uh, by the time Oscars telecast actually comes. But uh, yeah, the three that I have seen are uh, Get Out, which of course we've both seen because we, yeah, we yeah. talked about it. That's no surprise to the listener. Um, I have now seen The Shape of Water, which when we last talked, I had not. You had... I had not, I and have. now I understand all of the 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 phallic shape <laughs> references. Um, but uh, but so so basically, uh, I've seen that, and then the third one that I've seen is Lady Bird. Okay, so I was going to try to string those together in some kind of double entendre, but I'll leave it there. Um, <laughs> I like you. I saw Get Out. I saw Shape of Water. I have seen Dunkirk, and I did see Phantom Thread. So we've mm. talked about Get Out. So we won't spend much time here. Um, I. Did I talk about Shape of Water on the show? Yes. Did I? Okay. Yes, well, you then did. I'll, I'll, uh, for I'll our mother episode. What did um what did you think of Shape of Water? I yeah, I thought it was really strong. I love Guillermo del Toro. Um I think and this has been germinating for some time. I think uh, it would be fortuitous of us at some point in the near future to do an actual specific uh spend a little bit of time with him like maybe, maybe like his, a, uh, works. I lo- a series maybe like called Hashtag #toro toro toro. Oh, nice. You know. I, I've always been fond of hashtag Gimme Guillermo. But, um, okay, yeah. yeah, so, uh, so yeah, I, I definitely think that that should be, that should be somewhere in the... We can the, let, uh, we can let the, the audience maybe submit some ideas. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. Pick, pick your hashtag. Pick your hashtag. Um, but no, because, I, you know, obviously I thought Shape of Water was very strong. Uh, I love Pan's Labyrinth. I, I love his film called The Devil's Backbone and Kronos. I like the Hellboy movies quite a bit. Um, so yeah, but I thought sh- the reason I mentioned all of those is because I felt like Shape of Water was very much a Guillermo del Toro film. Like this is very much oh, the type yeah. of story he tells yeah. um, visually, uh, thematically. I, it, it felt very much like him. So if you are a viewer who likes his material, you are probably going to like this, maybe even love it. Um, if you're somebody who doesn't really connect with him very strong, then I don't know how much there would be to connect with on a different level. But I will say that the the performances and the script, uh, very, very strong all the way across the board. Sally Hawkins especially is just a revelation. And then I loved Octavia Spencer. Michael Shannon is as creepy as ever. And I just want Richard Jenkins to come to my house and be my friend. He's, like, he's so uh, great in that role. He's so I mean, great. He, I mean, we've, we've yeah. gushed about Richard Jenkins before on Bone Tomahawk and whatnot. Or Bone Tomahawk, depending on which version you see. Um, you know, <laughs> yes. but uh, but he's so good in this movie. Um, I, I, yeah, yeah. I, I liked Shape of Water. Um, you and I texted about this. It 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 slightly overstayed its welcome for me by the end of it. I was kind of like, okay, mm-hmm. I, I, I've kind of yeah. gotten what you're going for. I'm kind of ready to leave, um, which makes it sound like I didn't like the sure. movie. It wasn't that at all. In fact, I really loved the conceit of it um, and loved the performances sure. and loved a lot about it. But kind of by the end, I was like, I, okay. Yeah. And I, I will say this. Uh, one thing that I kind of identified is, is sort of the most, for me, climactic and dramatic moment in the film is uh, halfway through. It's midway through when they're, uh, I don't want to spoil anything about it, but you know what I'm talking about? Like the big, I'll call it the big escape. Sure. So sure. the, so the big escape was the most sort of engrossing moment for me, although there's much to follow after it that's that's to be cherished and, and is, is really valuable. But I think having that moment be so early, you know, like midway yeah. through the movie yeah. versus uh, closer to the end is what is what caused this sort of overstate its welcome kind of kind of idea. I think, yeah, I think um, you're totally right there. Yeah. Um, so we've both um, seen Shape of Water. So now. tell me about one of yours. Um, I'll 
talk about Dunkirk real quick. Um, hmm. You know, my biggest regret with Dunkirk is I did not go see it a second time on an IMAX screen. Like, it is mm. the type of film, I, I'm hesitant to say this, but I would almost discourage watching on a small screen. Like, it's just half of the experience is just the scope of it. Wow, what are you smiling about? <laughs> so, here's what's funny is I don't know if you even know this. I, I I don't even know if I fully understand it, but there's there's an internet thing where like critics are sort of lobbing jokes at each other, uh, where they're where they'll say like, if you haven't seen Dunkirk on an IMAX while sipping champagne <laughs> out of a man's hat, then you you haven't seen it yet. That's funny. And and then there's there's one that said like, uh, yeah, if you haven't seen Dunkirk while Christopher Nolan cradles you like a baby and <laughs> pats your head, then you haven't seen it, you know. And then and then there was somebody I can't remember who it might have been like Paul Thomas Anderson or somebody, but somebody like uh like wrote on a little scribble pad they uh-huh. wrote i watched dunkirk on an ipad with that's a big like funny. fu or that's something funny. Is, yeah, it was, yeah it was i have pretty, not seen that funny. but well it makes sense because it is yeah it's very visually epic and mm, mm-hmm. a lot of that's going to get reduced um but but i would definitely uh, even after saying that i'm going to say this i would definitely encourage people to watch it it's a very good movie it's christopher nolan if you like christopher nolan it's going to hit those notes sure sure um you know and if you, you can you can just kind of pretend that batman's going to show up at some point and save the day and that's a lot of fun <laughs> it adds, adds a lot of fun to the proceedings wow. batman won world war ii i didn't know what's going on no just the battle it took of a turn just the battle of dunkirk oh okay right right, right. Okay. it's just a small so funny small facet of it so yeah i did see dunkirk <laughs> i really liked it um go see it if you can on yeah. the big screen sure sure um i'll pivot real quickly to uh ladybird um all right I don't, think give, Lady Bird, don't give don't give too much away I really I'll, I'll be careful. I'll be careful. No, uh, without giving without giving specifics of plot or, or specific moments, there were four or five instances in Lady Bird that I thought were very strong and very powerful and quite moving. Um, the overall impact of Lady Bird, I think the hype kind of got to me a little sure. bit. I'm worried um, that's the case. Yeah, yeah. The 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 overall impact of it was not as substantive as I was hoping it would be. But that is not to minimize or overly mitigate. There were uh, at least four or five moments that that made me really become emotionally invested in what was happening right now. And the performances and the writing are very strong. I do think you will I think you will love it. I don't know that it will just right, you know, right. blow you away like some of the hype has sort of attuned us to, but um but it is very strong. Like it deserves its place. It's very much um yeah, it's it's a heartfelt piece. Yeah, I, th- Man, I think you will enjoy that's it. That's one of those movies that and I knew this was gonna happen. The some of the folks I listen to and read started buzzing about it a lot very early. So I so I knew yeah. about it real early and I was like, I have got to go see that because what is gonna happen is the culture is going to start talking about this and the the longer it goes before seeing it, the more I'm gonna get buried in the hype and I'm worried it's gonna diminish the experience. And that's yeah. exa- and I haven't seen it yet. And my wife and I were trying one of the main reasons we were trying to make a date night of it and just couldn't make the schedule work and that got away and here we sure, are. Sure. So yeah, I, I'll I'll definitely see it at some point, but I'm like you said, I'm worried I'll I'll buckle a bit under the hype. My last the only other one I saw was I did see Phantom Thread. Um, DDL's final performance as as he is sort of at least currently touting um, 
Hopefully yeah. not. Hopefully not so. But you know, he seems like a yeah. man. He seems like a man of his word. So um, it will not surprise me if that follows through there. I actually, I generally like Paul Thomas Anderson. I fell in love with Magnolia in college. Um, it's it's probably a bit overwrought. To, I might even watch it right now and think it's a bit overwrought. Um, but I loved it, sort of emotionality even then. Mm. Um, I do like Punch Drunk Love. I thought very highly of um, There Will Be Blood. Um, yeah. I did not care much for The Master. It was just kind of subject-wise, mm. just was not really inter- that interesting ultimately to me. But, you know, DDL is going to be a draw no matter what. I, w- I will say this, a Phantom Thread. I was worried it would be a great Daniel Day-Lewis performance in an okay movie, as so many of these can be sure. sometimes. Like, I'm worried The Darkest Hour it probably is. Um, right, right. I don't know that, but that's my thoughts going into it. Um, Phantom Thread definitely is not that. He is fantastic. Yeah. Every other performer is fantastic, too. The story is interesting. Mm. The script is tight and impressive. Um mm. It goes to some interesting places. It's just a kind of lovely story in a way that I really was not prepared for. So I would definitely sure, encourage people sure. to, to check it out. Um, yeah. we, we've talked a lot about these movies. I think for me, of the ones I've seen, partly out of bias and partly because I just think it would be awesome. I would love, I, I don't know that it will happen. I would love to see Get Out win Best Picture. I'm in the same exact camp with you for almost the same exact reason, where it's just like, yeah, I would love to see Get Out get Best Picture. It will not. I mean, I I will be stunned because, I mean, a lot of people said the exact same thing about Moonlight. And we were all watching last year when when that happened um, because everybody said like, oh, Moonlight should get it. But La La Land will get it. So then literally it played out in real time for us that it's like, oh, nope, wait. (laughs) <laughs> La right. Land didn't get it. Moonlight did crazy. it. Um, so I mean, who knows? But uh, but yeah, I would love to see Get Out uh, win that. It's interesting. I'm excited to hear your comments about Phantom Thread because that was one that I was just going to probably watch because it's on there. Um, but the the one that I'm most eager to see, although the post, I'm very excited to see. But the one I'm most eager to see is Three Billboards because I just, I, I mean, I like Martin McDonough a lot. Uh, did you ever see In Bruges? I did. It's been quite a while, but yeah, I have seen it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but I like Martin McDonough a lot, uh, and and so I'm just very fascinated and hopeful for that that's one, a, that's, too. A, so, that's another one I'm worried is going to have the Ladybird sort of treatment at this point. Like, there's so many fair. think pieces about Three Billboards. I will sure, say this about sure. Phantom Thread, and I, I went to see this on a Sunday afternoon. Had some. It was before the Killers concert I referenced in the X-Files episode, um, Killing Some Time. And I was a little downhearted walking into it because I thought, I know what this is going to be. But oh. I was genuinely surprised at how much I enjoyed it. And and I think you'll know what I mean when I say this. Like, it's a movie that you don't necessarily just turn on on a Friday night to entertain yourself. Sure, but sure. it's so hard to find, like, smart, just mature adult movies that really mm. kind of intrigue you and have a well-told yeah. story that are so random. Like it's not, there's, that's a hard hook, man. Like mm, yeah. Daniel oh, Day yeah. Lewis playing some random, you know, seamstress, fashion seamster, designer, fashion yeah. designer. Yeah. like yeah. that's a hard hook. Like I, yeah, you got to really commit to buy in on that one. Um, but no, I, I really Agreed. did enjoy it a lot anyway. So that was another edition of, uh, what you watching? Boom, 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 boom. What you read? No, no, we didn't. <laughs>
Would you? <laughs> would you watching? Would you still watching? But you won't stop watching. <laughs> Oscar edition. <laughs> oh man. I'm just I'm just letting the audience know right now, and you know right now that is going in unedited. Oh, I am not chopping up. I that. would fight for it. <laughs> yes, I'm not, I'm not chopping up an inch of that. No. Oh my gosh, that is hysterical. Um, so yeah, so um, I I went, uh, you know, taking a hard right hook into uh, Santa Rosa, California here. Yep. So I went back and forth. I knew we were going to be doing these Hitchcock films throughout the year. You know, there may be some months uh, where we don't tag in on one at all. Uh, there may be a month, you know, randomly in the year where we do two at one whack or so whatever. When we, real, you quick, know, we're gonna, real quick, when, we, when yeah. we refer to like the Hitchcock block, is that like with a K at the end of block or just a C? Like, what is the distinction? Oh, no, that's with, a, that's with a K on the end of the block. Okay. Yeah. Like, what is a, yeah. I, like, I'd have to look up the proper definition for the BLOC version of block. So like. Like if you say to someone, I don't know that it's, no, there's a that's a word. If you say to someone like, is it? Oh. Where are the title of this series of episodes is a Hitchcock block? Like, are you oh, which which one which, which one are you referring to? I just I, 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 I you want a moment? Like, just take it, take it, take a moment. I did. I did. I took that moment. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, you just, you, <laughs> I stole that moment. It's so hard. <laughs> <laughs> just, oh, oh gosh. Goodness, I don't gracious. even know what to do with you anymore. So, <laughs> no, like, nobody does. It's oh, sad. My, my kids don't. They, they, you know, they don't. They won't have me anymore. Um, no. So uh, you were saying <laughs> you were you were trying to discern which episode to include in our Hitchcock block of episodes. So sure, we, and, sure. And you sent, let, settled on <laughs> settled on this one. Settled on this one. Yeah, because like there's there. I knew you and I had talked about. Okay, of his catalog, these are the seven to ten that are sort of top tier candidates for us to cover. Um, but, you know, not knowing which ones to get to in what order, you know, the the temptation would just be to get to all the more popular ones first. But, you know, so anyway, but then uh, I had this back and forth and I think you and I spoke a couple of times on the phone. I was like, maybe this one and maybe this one. And then we had landed on one. And then all of a sudden, like the moment we hung up the phone, I was like, no, 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 no. Shadow of a doubt. Shadow of a doubt is next. And, uh, and I was you like, like, are you funny. sure? Yeah, like second guess me, uh, but no, it's no. Th- this was one no, that I, was, I knew. I was, was setting you up no. for a joke. Like, are you sure? It's shadow of a doubt. Like, did you have a doubt? When, oh, I'm embarrassed doubt? that I didn't catch that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna, tell I'm gonna, gonna lower your anyway. social rating right now. <laughs> 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 oh my gosh. Um. So so anyway, uh, when we landed on this one, uh, I was very excited. To talk about this film, obviously, this was this would not be considered uh, traditional horror by any stretch. A lot of Hitchcock's films will not be. In fact, I think we're going to be only covering really two that would technically be considered traditional horror genre fare, uh, much more in the suspense realm, which this definitely classifies. Um, but this is one of my very favorite Hitchcock films, and it was frequently cited by him uh, at the time that he was promoting it and on in through till the end of his days. He cited this as his personal favorite film that he had ever made. 
And I do think that there's some good reason why. I think it's a, it's, it's a substantial film. I was curious, you shared with me some bullet points, but I was curious since you had never seen it and didn't know really much about it, uh, what was your take on it? How did you feel about it? What did you think? Um, I actually really enjoyed it more than I was anticipating. You just, it's, it's unfortunate, but you just never know with the, with the conventions we're used to in modern filmmaking and storytelling, you just never know, okay, this is an 80 year old movie. Like, what am I getting into? Is it purely just an artifact of another era that I'm just kind of observing for the sake of conversation and criticism, or am I really going to be kind of kind of drawn into it. Um, and right. I, I, I did find a lot to like, I, I think my favorite version of movie watching is how I did this one, which is you said, here's the title. I typed the title into the Apple TV and hit rent. I did not read yes. the, the summary. I did not look at a cast list. Yeah. I did not look it up beforehand. I did not watch a trailer. Mm-hmm. All I knew was Alfred Hitchcock. We're going to be talking about this. 1943. Like I, I just had yeah, no done. clue mm-hmm. what I was going to watch. And so that, that's a, that's a really fun to me, really fun way to kind of consume media. Sometimes it really allows for a very fresh experience. And it's, it's funny. I'll, I'll go ahead and share this. It's, t- it would technically be in kind of a, I don't know, like this, like a trivial bits or something. So my exposure to Hitchcock's material is I had seen the birds. I'm pretty sure I've seen Vertigo. I've now seen mm. Rear Window twice. I've seen this. I've seen Psycho. And that's about okay. it. So, yeah. well, one, I guess a question before I follow that path too far is how many are there? Of Hitchcock's films? There's yeah, 53 yeah. Oh, wow. official okay. entries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. so, I got a ways to go. But, <laughs> but where I'm going <laughs> with this... Not all of them are worth your time. Gotcha, gotcha. <laughs> Sadly. Um, but. but the point in sharing that is I don't know the, the range of subject matter that he covers. Mm. So uh, oh, okay. I'm, I'm going sure. to share this and it's going to sound really funny. And, and on the one hand, it might be like, <laughs> you're so dumb, Nathan. Um, <laughs> you, you're permitted like five seconds of that. And then just kind of, <laughs> just kind of whatever. Um, there's a moment where young Charlie is going to the post office to write uncle Charlie. That's how we're going to distinguish him. We'll call him uncle Charlie and Charlie. Okay. Yeah. So yeah, Char- Charlie's, Charlie Charlie. Charlie's going to the post office to write uncle Charlie a letter and she finds out that she has one waiting for her from him. Right, right. And she has this moment. I'm pretty sure this is the scene where she's talking to the person at the post office about tele- yes. tele- 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 telepathy. Telepathy, you, right. Yeah. And I had this moment where I was like, really? Is this the movie? <laughs> is, is this where the movie's going to go? Like, I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> cool with that. I can kind of roll. This seems like very ahead of its time in terms of like... <laughs> You know, supernatural phenomena and stuff. There was just this brief one minute of the movie going experience, the movie watching experience where I was like, wow, Hitchcock's about okay. to have a movie about telepathy, you know, and, and the sort hysterical. of connection these two characters have. So, you know, it, it, it just spoiler alert, it doesn't go there. Wah, wah. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> jokes on I know me. you're shocked, listeners. Right, right. Um, <laughs> you know, so, so overall, I really enjoyed it. I found. You know, some areas that I would initially think, man, this is just real straightforward kind of storytelling or straightforward kind of filmmaking are then suddenly there's a scene that's real captivating and how it's framed and shot. And we talked about some of that with Rear Window. But overall, I mean, the script is really nice. Now, remind me, is it mm-hmm. based on pre-existing material or is it 
or an original script? Uh, do you, do you, you, know? you know what's funny? I believe I believe it is original script. Yeah, no, I'm yeah, I'm I'm confident it's an original script now because he developed this story with uh, Thornton Wilder, That's who was right. a Pulitzer Prize winning yeah. playwright right. and novelist. Um, and we were in a production together of Thornton Wilder's play Our Town, right? Uh, which is really ironic that we were talking at the beginning of the show about which was right, which was right. the uh, play where we first started with. But um, so yeah, so he developed this story with Thornton Wilder. Now, once the story was developed, uh, Thornton Wilder then turned it over. I think uh, turned it over to a screenwriter named Sally Benson, and then eventually. Uh, Hitchcock's own wife, Alma Ravel, did another draft of it. But Thornton Wilder is credited and is largely considered the... He built this story with gotcha. Hitchcock. So the revisions, not to minimize the contribution of, of Sally Benson and Alma, um, but the, but it is largely attributed to you're the such, reason it is the way it is. You're such a man. Just gonna... I know, I'm such a man. Um, <laughs> but to the point that there are two credits in the film, one credits Hitchcock is crediting, you know, screenplay by Thornton Wilder, Sal, Sally Benson, Alma Reville, but then a separate single card title that says we would like to acknowledge the contribution of Thornton Wilder in the creation of this story. So there, there was a, yeah. a very distinct thing. One thing, one interesting note about that uh, that I find interesting that we could count for a kind of a you know trivial bits um, is that Hitchcock was largely a British filmmaker. Obviously, he was born in uh, in England. I forget exactly where. And uh, mo- the, the first, like, 20, 20 to 25 of his films were done uh, in, uh, in Britain. And so then when he came to America, he struggled with producer David O. Selznick right. with actually having... You know, uh, Selznick wanted a ton of control, and he was uh, not very collaborative as an individual. And so, when Hitchcock worked with Thornton Wilder, Wilder was a very generous, collaborative individual, very open to new ideas, very open to what to what Hitch wanted, and very flexible just, and pliable as an artist. Did you just call him Hitch? Did you just yeah. Hitch, you're, just, yeah. you're just like that's his nickname. Y'all are just like we're buddies, your buds. Yeah, we're He's friends. like Hitch and Lack. We're, we're friends. Me and Lack. Yeah, that's right. Like, that's right. Like this. <laughs> yeah, Hitch. I go back and forth actually. Sometimes I refer to him as Hitchcock, and sometimes I refer to him as Hitch, and it's really funny. But anyway, so yes, so you're on you're on not just a last name basis with, but a a a an abbreviated last name basis with. Yeah, an abbreviated last name. Yes, um, but uh, but yeah. See, he found the experience so rewarding that he that it was just one of the more pleasant, and might be largely why he considers it his favorite film is because of all the landmark films that he made. It was one of his most pleasant filmmaking experiences like creating this story was uh you know it was pleasant for all of the actors it was pleasant for the the production and creation side of it so everything was enjoyable pretty much from beginning to end about this production which was not always the case with hitchcock's films so um so yeah it's easy to see why he would cite this as as his favorite film that he'd made um but i do think it's i do think it's also really you know it Hitchcock has a reputation for being kind of scary, and I don't think that's quite true. I don't think that's quite accurate. Um, he's got a reputation because of films like Psycho or The Birds that there's a more horrific element to his films than there really is. Shadow of a Doubt is a straightforward suspense play, and true, the last 30 minutes has some nerve-wracking tension, but it's largely uh, an almost meditative drama 
to to a large portion of its narrative. There are suspenseful moments, but there's a lot of philosophizing. There's a lot of extrapolation of ideas. There's a lot of it's it's really an exploration of a theme, and that's part of what I find so enduring and endearing about Hitchcock's work. It, what makes the really great ones so timeless is that uh, he's really not landing on one specific idea. In a lot of them, he's exploring a multitude of ideas simultaneously. And I think that's why they work so well. I do think it's worth throwing in here. So hopefully listeners more or less watch the movies we talk about. But if you don't, that's all good. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the, a quick plot summary is Uncle Charlie is, I don't know the actor's name, but he's probably a roughly 30-year-old, really handsome um, you, Joseph you, Cotton's you, you you meet him at the top of the film. It's there's a little bit of mystery about him. He's got some ca- large sums of cash, and you don't really know the story behind it. Well, then you cut to this family on the other end of the country. He's in New York, I believe. They're in California, and um, uh, you find out this family is his kinfolk, and specifically of this family, the daughter who is high school age, uh, at, mm-hmm. as far as the movie's concerned, um, was named after him. So she's Charlie. This is uncle Charlie. Well, they have this kind of relationship, uh, uh, a lot of affection. She goes to reach out to him because she's belaboring over something and he's coming to the family. So the whole movie is uncle Charlie's interaction with the family. And you just learn there's some stuff going on. Well, that was a long way to get to this funny point. So in the movie, Charlie's father, not Uncle Charlie, Charlie's father is named Joe. And he has yeah. this like friend. He's not a coworker <laughs> of some sort. Herb? No, he's a, he's a friend. Right, he's just a yeah. friend. Herb. Well, one, I do think it's interesting some of the casting in this. Like Joe is aged. I mean, he's... Yeah, yeah. He, he's Henry an older, older yeah. man. Um, his friend is, you know, much younger, but, but that's irrelevant. But what's fun is, and I didn't know this was going to recur through the movie. So the first time it happens, I was like, oh, that's a fun little aside. Well, then it keeps coming (laughs) back up and it's really humorous. So Joe and Herb have this really funny sort of relationship where like when it first happens, they're just sitting on the porch. Um, another scene has transpired and it's almost like the camera just stays on the scene and just kind of zooms a bit towards them. And they're discussing how they would kill someone, you know, like (laughs) the most, the most, uh, imperceptible way you might go about killing somebody. And right. Well, that becomes a running gag and at least maybe three times it returns to that sort of thread. Well, Mm -hmm. There's this, it culminates in this great bit, and I'm really, I'm going somewhere with this, where the (laughs) whole family, Herb included now, uh, Uncle Charlie's there, Joe and his wife, Emma, have three kids, which includes girl Charlie and Herb. So there's like eight people at this dinner table. Herb and Joe, uh, young Charlie is already suspecting Uncle Charlie of some nefarious misdeeds, so she's, her hackles are, are up a little bit towards him, so there's some tension that she's that the rest of family's not aware of well herb and joe start throwing back more how would i kill someone conversation and right. charlie just barks at them like why are you guys just stop this is inappropriate because she's nervous about uncle charlie there's more <laughs> there's dramatic irony there well <clears throat> joe it's it's so great joe says well herb's talking about killing me and i'm talking about killing him 
And his, <laughs> and Joe's wife, Emma, says, oh, it's your father's way of relaxing. And what I wrote down, Reed Lackey, I was like, oh, my God, are Reed and I Herb and Joe? <laughs> it's like, we just, we just wax about people killing folk on a podcast. Yep, You're like, that's it. oh, so that's it. in that one movie in the Bone Tomahawk <laughs> where the crazy Indians shredded the man in two, it was no big deal. You know? I've, oh, I've it makes us worse. think about deep spiritual realities. You know? <laughs> right, that's, right, right. That's, that's the, how that goes. Our wives that's are like, oh, that's just your father's way of relaxing, kids. <laughs> that was a long that's story so just to get to that point. I'm sorry. But no, it's it, it it's it's so true. Like I I love those two characters, and that's one of the things I love about the film in general is is that there's a ton of sort of subtle humor. Like I love the little nerdy girl, like the oh, little yeah, uh, gosh, her Anne. name escapes me. I think it's Anne. I think it's Anne. Yeah, Anne. That's right. Anne. Yes, because because then when the detective is trying to take charlie out and then she's like oh really ann is the one to show you about right, town right, which right. feels weird right. you know like but i love how ann is all like she's like no uh next when i have a house of my own it's going to be full of sharpened pencils you know? right, <laughs> like right. she's 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 so like arrogant and know-it-all and yeah. and it's just she's a great character the uh, uh i think that part of the strength of the film is that it's presenting this very nuclear, typical American family and into this sort of open, casual, easygoing uh, suburban life that Charlie herself is like longing for something to come in and shake things up. She's longing for some sort of adventurous thing. Little does she know that she's related to a cold-blooded right. killer. Like, you know, spoiler alert for the film. But, you know, that. so then when Uncle Charlie comes to visit, which is what she wanted, then she gets, uh, she gets a taste of this other side of things and finds out that's not really what she wants. And I think there's some fascinating things to be explored there in terms of this whole conversation between you want your life to be different you want your life to look different but then suddenly when you begin to understand uh an outside influence coming in and and painting a picture of what that might actually look like maybe it's not really what you want maybe it's actually much more monstrous and horrific than you ever thought it could possibly be um but we can get into all that a little bit later i want to get into uh just a handful of of little particulars here one of the things that i respond to so strongly it might be my favorite moment in the movie is when Charlie herself, she's got these suspicions about Uncle Charlie, but she goes to the library and the the dramatic, you know, flash of music and that long pan, almost a Star Wars cr- scroll before there was Star oh, Wars yeah, scroll yeah, of, yeah. of the Merry the Widow. Article. Yeah, the article. And it shows you the whole thing. And, uh, and I love that moment so much you know because you because all of the pieces to connect the dots are right there right it's the um you know the the t m or t s and b m the initials that were on her ring that that uncle charlie gave her uh everything is right there and she knows my uncle who i've adored and who i've loved for so long is a murderer a serial murderer right and, uh, and and what do I do with that? How do I how do I process that information? And I've got to go back home and he's in our house right now. Right. Oh, my God. So uh, but I love that moment so much. But another favorite moment of mine, and then I'll pivot back to you to share some of your thoughts. A favorite moment of mine is then when Uncle Charlie, after he realizes she knows, takes her to that to that bar. Like yeah, takes her to, yeah. to a place where she she normally never would be. But I love their exchange 
there because he comes down so condescendingly on like, you don't know what the world's really like. Like you've never been out there. You don't know what the necessities are. You, you don't see. So you don't know what things are really like. And we'll get to this more when we dive whole hog into themes. But this idea of how the world really is, quote unquote, really is like she, Charlie, represents this sheltered perspective, uh, a perspective that she's longing to break free from. She's longing to sort of break out of this. But he represents almost the opposite perspective where it's like he's been out in the world and has experienced all these supposedly different things and has come out of it a very venomous and homicidal individual um so anyway lots to get in with that but i love so much of the dialogue that's happening in that film between those two ideologies i find it very fascinating i I love in that scene the the server she's so monotone oh yes oh i'm really surprised you're here you should be here What do, I, what, do you, what do you have? You know, yes. it's very funny. Yes, it's great. Yeah, I mean, overall, I think it's interesting. It's hard to separate yourself from your 2018 kind of brain to to observe uh, kind of a time capsule like this because if if listeners don't watch it, the way the movie treats the relationship of the Charlies as a 2018 viewer is discomforting. You know, like it's mm, very, yes. it's like, you're not sure, are they romanticizing this relationship? Um, right, right. Is it, am I just, in other words, I think what I'm trying to say is, does a 1943 audience watch Shadow of a Doubt and see their relationship and not think too much of it? Like, oh, well, it's just affectionate sort of, does, does that make sense? Like I watch it oh, absolutely. as a 2018 knowing about the predators of the world and thinking like, oh, this is making me feel icky watching this. Right. But I don't know if that was really meant as a dimension of the movie, as much as you just trying to buy into their affection before we up end it with who he really is. Right. Uh, To be honest with you, knowing what I know about Hitchcock, uh, it easily could have been Hitch. Yeah. Me and my buddy Hitch. (laughs) Um, It easily could have been an element. Uh, I think there he's intending to depict a love between them. Now, whether or not that love is intended to be romanticized or sensualized, I wouldn't, I wouldn't right, know specifically. Right. Um, but there is definitely supposed to be a sort of a hyper affection right. between the, between the two of them where they talk about being almost of the same mind, yeah, the twins, yeah. you know, uh, all that sort of stuff. Um, and they are framed in the film as mirrors. Like, I don't know if you noticed or if you were conscious of this, but the very first time we see uncle Charlie, he's laying on the bed, with his arms folded across his chest, the very first time we see Charlie, she's oh, upstairs wow, yeah. in her room, good. laying on the bed with her, you know, hands back. So there, there are many t- instances where there's lots of um, there's lots of twos in the movie, lots of lots of sort of uh, dualities going on. There's Charlie, the two Charlies. Um, there's the uh, this may seem like a bit of a stretch, but it's actually intended. It's intentional. Uh, the train taking him in and the train taking him out, uh, oh, yeah, literally yeah. and figuratively. Um, and then also, uh, there are two detectives, there are two people watching him when we first see uncle Charlie. Um, there are two suspects for the Mary widow murderer, right, one in the right. East and one in the West. So there's lots of duality going on very intentionally in the film, uh, supposedly to mirror this idea of two ways that 
uh, like two facets of life, the the suburban, almost boring way of of living casually and, you know, just day in, day out drudgery. And then the very exciting, adventurous, but also dangerous elements of what Uncle Charlie is living. So, yeah, there's a lot of duality in there. And they are specifically Charlie and Uncle Charlie are meant to be mirrors of each other a man right, a woman right. an adult somewhat of a child you know they're right. meant to be mirrors of each other both in philosophy and in actuality right um so, I, I know, did, a lot of that is very intentional i did love on a pure surface level emma right that's the wife yeah yeah i love her investment in how to properly bake a cake <laughs> when she's asked by the FBI agents or whatever government agency yes. they represent, like she says, I want to help out with important work, but I can't go on baking cakes all day. Like, <laughs> and, and, Oh, you don't start a cake by breaking an egg. They're trying to, they're trying to give the impression that they're just profiling this, this suburban family when really they're snooping around for uncle Charlie, but right, they, right. they have a, a camera and want to photograph the mother baking a cake and, and the, the man says, the, the photographer says, you know, why don't you break an egg? And she's like, well, you don't start a cake by breaking an egg. She takes it so <laughs> seriously. And I just loved her for it, you know, cause it <laughs> just, it just true. keeps coming up. She is so convinced they are there to profile this family. Yes. Yes. She's the, and, and what's interesting about her now, I'm going to take your very comical and it is indeed comical. I'm going to take your very comical moment and move it to somewhat of a poignancy. She in the film to me largely represents the naivete of, oh, yeah. of that sort of mentality. Yeah. Like she, not only does she, is she oblivious to the reality of uncle Charlie, but it's really kind of a moment when uncle Charlie, after he realizes he's really, they're on his heels and they're, and he's right. about to be found out. And so he announces his departure. He announces, I'm going to leave. And then Emma has this moment where she, she kind of have a, has a small breakdown where she gets down and she's like, well, no, you don't understand. We were so close when we were younger. And then she has, I don't know how much you caught this, but he, she has a, a bit of a rant where she rambles on for like 30 to 40 seconds about how, and then we grew older and I got married and we drifted apart and he went off and lived his life. And, and she's, bemoaning how they knew each other when they were young, but now they are not close anymore. And she longs for that to be, but it really is representative to me in that moment. It's representative of the whole notion of, you don't really know this person at all. Right, like, right, like, do right. you ever really know a person or do you just know your romanticized ideal of them, which sure. is the same thing Charlie's going through. Like, do you just, do you know this person or do you just, are you just affectionate towards your idea of right. who this person really is? Um, and there's there's several instances of that going on in the film that I find quite uh, thought provoking. Sure. Uh, just the idea of how much do you really know this life or this world? The detectives come under the pretense of being newspaper reporters sent to chronicle a typical American family. Right. But they're really detectives on the hunt for the Mary sure, Widow murder. Sure. And so. And so, yeah, it is this, it is, and what I love about it, did you ever find it weird? Now, I really do not know, and I looked up and could not find anything substantial. Did you find it a bit odd, the constant insert refrain of the dance scene? Every every few scenes, there would be this, this insert of, like, a, a waltz, these couples dancing at a waltz. Did you notice that? Um, I don't really, I know the waltz tune that she hums. Yeah, well, what's interesting, and yeah, you, I, I wouldn't blame you for not picking up on it the first viewing, because it is very subtle, uh -huh. but it happens probably five or six times throughout the course of the film. 
usually after a pivotal revelation, there will be a cut to a moment of these people. That's, that's ringing waltzing. a bell. I just feel stupid now because I can't really yeah. recall concrete imagery of that. But I, I, I am. Well, don't don't. Yeah. I, I, I sincerely don't feel stupid because I it's promise I like stayed awake the, through the whole thing. <laughs> no, I know. There's because uh, it is it is definitive in the very beginning over the opening credits. That's what you're seeing. But then it calls back to it. And usually when it calls back to it later in the film, it's superimposed with other images from the film. Like it'll okay. just be a flash. Well, maybe that's what I'm thinking in a of. moment. Or maybe that's why yeah, I'm not so remembering a real concrete image. Right. Um, but I was thinking about that. And, and this is a bit of a stretch, but maybe it's exactly what's intended to to be evoked here is really throughout the film. There is this kind of dance between if you want to call it evil, goodness and evil, light, darkness, menace and uh, wholeness or whatever it is, peaceful and tranquility. And then, you know, a sort of a venomous threat. And there's this kind of dance going on throughout the entire film of something that is uh, very nasty and something that is very pleasant. And it's constantly going back and forth and they're constantly in dialogue each other most of the time in ways that the rest of the characters are oblivious to. Um, like when Herb and, uh, and Joe are sitting there just casually joking about killing each other. My right. favorite of those is uh, when uh, Herb would uh, kill him with uh, mushrooms. Like, I'm just going to throw in a bunch of good mushrooms and f- sprinkle in a few poisonous ones. At worst, I would get accidental death, you know? And, <laughs> well, I love yeah, you said that. I love the one. I'm not going to, I don't have the lines written down, so I'm not going to remember them, but he serves him the water and he's like, oh, I, yes. I could have just poisoned you or something like that, you know? <laughs> Yeah. He's like, you never would have tasted it. It's just so funny. Um, let, me, yeah, let, me, I mean, let me throw uh, it to, let uh, me at you real quick. Um, and then we can sort of, sure. you know, start to lean heavy towards thematic stuff. So one on a super superficial, um, I didn't mean that to be redundant. I was using the word super individualized <laughs> and then the word superficial. Um, so on a super squared official uh, level, <laughs> the movie reminded me a little bit of the guest with Dan Stevens. Um, oh yes, if you remember yes. that. I so that it, it, it reminded me of that some, but I did actually love the empowerment of young Charlie. Like, and maybe I'm just jaded and mm. cynical about presentations, uh, gender presentations in film. But <clears throat> I really love that she is the one who, because you made the comment a minute ago about when Uncle Charlie announces his departure. Well, the reason he yeah. announces his departure is right. she right. she. In a in a in a uh, uh, just bold move. So once she's figured everything out, what she yes. doesn't what she doesn't know how to do is get rid of him. Um, yes. And and you know is worried for her family, um, is worried about him, but has not figured a way to you know sort of get him gone. Well, this ring you referenced it. He gives her this ring early in the film as a token of affection, not neglecting to realize it's got an inscription on the inside. This inscription is of one of the people he killed she sort of determines this and realizes this he hides the ring away she goes and finds it so late in the film he's given this big toast after being the talk of the town and everybody loves uncle charlie and she just strolls down the stairs with this big old emerald ring on her finger and doesn't say a word and it's just this really great move because because more or less the middle portion becomes kind of a cat and mouse you know like sure oh yeah yeah she starts to suspect, but doesn't know. He actually attempts several 
several ways to, to exterminate her, like to get rid yes, of her and, yes. and to straight up kill her. Yeah. Yeah. And almost succeeds except Herb's there to save the day. So she knows she's under threat. Her family's under threat. And she does this really baller move of, of putting this, this, uh, put a ring on it. And, <laughs> and so I just really loved that notion that she dispels, um, You've been flirting with this idea a couple of times and how you've described the movie and, and maybe to just really dive fully into themes before we you know aim for any sort of resolution here. Like, I loved this notion that your sort of conversation right now is, is really bringing forward in a very stark fashion. There's this, you know, Uncle Charlie is the intrusion of... Uh, Ignore the sort of heinousness of his crimes, which which are in fact that on on a metaphorical level, he is the quote unquote outside world invading this family. You know, you've got young Charlie who pines for adventures in the great wide somewhere. You know, she wants something. (laughs) She wants something more than this provincial life she's been given. And um, and and that scene you referenced earlier, her laying on the bed and she's opining to Joe about. And he's just shrugging it off as like teenage girl. I make the money. We're we're good. Everybody's happy here. Yeah, right. You right. Know? So there's this really lovely sort of thing that I think the movie's attempting of it does not indict her whatsoever, but maybe readjusts her point of view of safety and and security in those you love is a good thing. It's about yes. it's about intentionality and awareness of it. You know what I mean? Like mm. Mm-hmm. And and you and I would maybe take note as parents, like as we sort of cultivate a home and what how we communicate to our kids. Like it's not about being fearful of the world and this is the only safe place ever, or you don't walk out that door. You know, right, right. you know what I mean. That kind of idea, like like sure, sure. We're uh, you know the the rhythm that can impose itself on a daily life in a family mm-hmm. and and the operations of it it's a call to you and I as parents to be mindful that we are infusing spontaneity and surprise and wonder into our Mm -hmm. family life. But it's also a recognition to our children like, Hey, like family doesn't equal boring family can equal safety and security and goodness and wholeness and an, and a capacity and a, and an architecture and a foundation by which you can resist those threats that are going to come mm-hmm. to you. Does that make any sense at all? Oh yeah, no, it, it totally does. I don't know, that's totally just well, something I really took away from it. Well, and what I, and, and this was going to be a sort of a, a primary linchpin for my thematic exploration myself was the, the, the quotation that the detective whose name is eluding me right now, but the detective that becomes romantically involved with Charlie right. and, um, and, and he's affectionate for her. That's a very, uh, it's treated very much like a, a budding courtship, right. not a, you know, lascivious little affair yeah, yeah. or anything. It's very much treated like a courtship. Um, but he says to her at the end of the film, you know, she's trying to understand her uncle and she's trying to understand all this that has taken place. And she said, you know, he hated the world and he hated everything in it. And he says to her, he says, it's not as bad as all that, but it does need a lot of watching. Because it seems to go crazy every now and then, mm. and I'm just like, man, yeah, that what a, that's good. What a phenomenal observation, you know? Like it's because here you have Uncle Charlie's character is very much yes, he hates the world, he hates people in it, 
He is very much antagonistic towards the world. But it, I, I just love the the simplicity and the almost, um, sp- I'll, I'll deem it this way, the, the almost uh, spiritual wisdom of just like, well, it's not as bad as that. Right, but right. It, but it does need a lot of watching. Sure. Like, in other words, it, it's not, it, it doesn't pay to be naive. It doesn't pay to be the Emma where you're just oblivious to everything that's going on. But also, it, you know, it's... It doesn't pay either to just go around thinking it's all drudgery and awful and terrible because that's what that's what Uncle Charlie is operating under. He's he's operating under the system of this is what the world is. The world is awful and terrible and you take what's yours and you do what you can with it. And that's the that's the reality. That's his reality of it. And I love the observation. It's like, well, that's that's incorrect. But it's also incorrect to just move through and think it doesn't go crazy every right, now and then. Right. You know, because because Uncle Charlie is a reality and Uncle Charlie is a thing. And it can't. And that's that's the simplicity of that line. And I love it so much. It's just that you and I have, have if we've never directly stated this on the show, we've skirted with the notion of. That it's like, yeah, the, the the world can be a fine place. No, we have directly stated it. We've quoted Frederick Beekner on the show before, which says, "The this is the world. Beautiful and terrible things will happen. Do not be afraid." Right. You know, and and this notion of like, yes, the uh, there are times where the world is a fine place, as we've you know referenced seven uh, way back in hashtag I love the nineties. The world is a fine place sometimes. Um, uh, but not always, <laughs> sometimes it can be really, really terrible. Um, and then sometimes it is just alarmingly surprising and wonderful. And sometimes it is menacing and threatening and scary. Right, right. And, and you just have to, you have to try to, to be watchful and to be mindful and not necessarily pine away from what you have and from the goodness that you have. And for what you have in in hand, which is what young Charlie's doing at the very beginning of the film, but at the same time not become so jaded and so disillusioned that you're just like, oh yeah, let the world burn. I'm gonna take what's mine. I'm gonna kill all of these. He he, he has this speech, and I didn't I didn't write this down or look this up or anything, but he has this speech. Do you remember the speech that he has at the dinner table where he's talking about these these that's some green, cre- that's some fat creepy widows? crap? Yeah. Oh, it is so creepy because the camera steadily zooms in on him, gets very close to him. And he's giving this whole denigrating diatribe about these the wheezing, these wheezing wives, money. fat wheezing wives. Yes. Yes. Fat. Well, what, wives. What, I almost, so then, what I almost loved about that scene, like this is just me and my way my dumb brain works, is it's it's a long monologue. And yes, nobody really like. It happens, and they just move on with dinner. Yeah, you know, <laughs> I mean, it's so <laughs> it's like true. it's true. Yeah, it's 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 like it's like it's, it's like the out. SNL character that just it's like Debbie Downer or something. You know, like oh, that's just Uncle Charlie <laughs> again, just ignores him, spouting off about this craziness. <laughs> You know? <laughs> there, there could be an SNL skit in this of like sitting at dinner and he's just he's just sitting there he's just like and maybe I will kill all of you in right. your sleep I'll kill you this in real night. nihilistic monologue like, oh Uncle Charlie Pass the potatoes you know <laughs> <laughs> but then you know and, but this is the really chilling part of it is because then she says I think young Charlie says but they're human beings because right. at this point she right. suspects right. everything yeah. she says but they're human beings and he looks right at the camera and that's very intentional he looks right at the camera so he's looking at us and he goes are they are they charlie right and it's just like oh yeah you're right it's it's a haunting 
moment, even now, even 80 years on, that's a haunting sort of uh, sort of examination because, and you and I have talked about this a wealth on this show, there are people who view others, other human beings, as uh, inconsequential, less than as, you know, fat wheezing whatevers like Uncle Charlie, and they, they view them as that. And then when you raise the, the, when you sort of raise the flag and say like, hey, wait a minute, they're people, they're right, human beings. Right. Like they, they have basic, you know, rights to dignity and, and certain things that, that need to be allowed them. And then the response, although it would probably never be verbalized because in nosedive world, that will ding you down points. Right. But although it would never be verbalized, um, they look at it and they say, are they? Are they really human? Right. They're not like us. Right. You know, they're, they're, they're not like us. They don't have the sophistication that we have. They don't have the understanding that we have. They don't have the, the opportunity that we have. They're not like us. Right. So, so, yeah, sure. I guess technically they're human beings, but they're not like us. And that's Uncle Charlie's mode of operating. Well, and, his, and I'll nuance that even a yeah. little bit more by I think Uncle Charlie would say they're not like me. I mean, Uncle Charlie is yes, yes. A, 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 a sociopath. You know, who, fascinatingly, you were talking about him kind of hating the world or whatever. It actually reminds me a little bit of Heath Ledger Joker, but the scene at the bank, like he doesn't even, he doesn't care about money, you know, yes. like, right. I mean, it's like, yes. mm -hmm. these are fat wheezing wives and, and they're, they need to be killed. They're not really humans. Money doesn't matter. Currency doesn't matter. None of you matter. And honestly, and in a more traditional version of our show, I would offer this up under a, a scares list, like one of the scariest scenes in the movie because it turns even what you think he does value into something he doesn't. The scene when he, it's, it's him, young Charlie and one of the agents or maybe both agents are in the scene together and he grabs her by the, by the jaw. Ooh, and he says, yes. he refers to his favorite thing in the world. It's her as in, she's my favorite thing in the world. And yes. like, that's a, that's yes. a discomforting scene. You're like, Oh gosh, this is just, yes even her usefulness to him has waned, you know, cause previously if he's going to love anything, it's going to love something that's him named for him, named after right. him, you know, like it's, it's, it feeds that ego. But now that mm -hmm. she's sussing him out and, and figuring out who he is now, even mm -hmm. she's worth being thrown on the pyre too, you know? Yeah. Which he, which he, you know, spoiler alert, everybody, if you haven't seen this film, like see this film, but uh, which he literally tries to do yeah. at the end, at the end of the film, he tries to throw her off of a rapidly moving train in front of another one. Right. Um, and that and was so, having never seen the film and, and not because much of the movie is that kind of cat and mouse. There's not really these like wild bursts of violence or anything, you know? Sure. It's more, right, right, it's, right, right. <laughs> it's more a mental chess kind of game. Well, mm -hmm. at the end when he, turns you know full on against her it was like oh oh you know you're like oh, oh my god, god oh my god yeah. somebody help her oh yeah you know and 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 honestly it's 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 almost a downright accident that that it doesn't go the way right, right, right. that he wants it to go you know and so yeah it is um it, it, it's it's fascinating to think about this idea of and and maybe i'll you know use this as a unless you have something more burning to say, I'll use this as a pivot towards maybe winding us down. It's fascinating to think about this idea of people will tell you they'll, they'll make this statement. They'll say, this is how the world really is. 
they'll say this is this is the real world. But depending on their perspective about the people in that world and their experiences that they've taken out from that world, um, that it's it's almost a statement that nobody should ever make because unless you're taking in whole cloths of of experience and whole cloths of differing perspectives you don't have a full picture of what the world is really like. Right. Like, I don't know. I don't know your world. We've been friends for nearly 20 years and I don't know your world though, but you and I share things for, you know, share experiences of being fathers and being husbands and, uh, you know, the different, uh, sort of similarities and similar crossroads, but I still don't really know your world, you know, and it would be presumptuous of me to try to, to pretend or act like, I do understand it, let alone act superior to it. And there's a tendency for people to unknowingly adopt that philosophy where they say, I know what the world is really like. I know what your world is really like. I know what mine is. I know what the world is really like. And so because I know it, I know what's best for it. And I know what's worst for it. And what's worst for it is you. And what's best for it is me. Sure. And, you know, those are those are painting with broad brushes, but that can be a tendency of of arrogant and uh, elitist mentalities uh, on on all of the spectrum of political and social ideological well, camp. And because when you do stuff like that, when you when you put people in buckets, one, it makes me think of um, nosedive and um, go, go listen to the Black Mirror conversation, everybody. Um uh, that comment of what a dull world it would be without wonder. Like you, you lose the capacity yeah. to have people surprise you. It's funny. Mm-hmm. You, you, I would not have necessarily thought shadow of a doubt would lead us to this part of the conversation. And I won't follow this rabbit trail too long, but I was in a conversation recently with a, a peer and he is a believer and they, it, he's a, a good man but we are so diametrically opposed in our thinking. And Mm -hmm. he started talking about, I I actively work to avoid conversations like this. It's going to sound like I sort of go around looking for them. I really don't. Um, I, I stumble into this political conversation with him and I regretted it immediately, but he kept talking about liberals and conservatives, liberals, conservatives, this and that, this and that. And I stopped him. I said, I'm not going to say his name. Uh, well, I'll say it's you. I, I was like, Reed, <laughs> what you're doing is part of the problem. I said, mm. I have thoughts about bucketing people, you know, like those people, sure, that group sure. who thinks this way. I said, mm. but I feel like the call of Jesus on my life is to try to work as hard as I can to ensure I have the most compassion towards the most people. And when you when you position yourself as I would call kind of a know-it-all, like this is how these people are, Mm -hmm. this is how that group of people are. Or when I'm talking and I'm saying, well, liberals are just like this conservatives. This is just Mm -hmm. them. That's how they are. I understand trends. I understand stereotypes, but I actively work for my language because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks like how you the words you use, the semantics you employ are less an indicator of that's just how the world is and more an indicator of like your heart and, and are you actively working to be an ambassador of compassion and reconciliation in the world? Are you just putting a little more cement on the walls that divide us? 
You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think that's, I think I don't that's know if exactly. That totally derails from where you're going. I apologize if it did, but no, 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 it doesn't at all. Uh, and uh, no, this, this plays right into it because it really is a, it really is a heart condition. It really is a matter of, of understanding that you will say, yeah, I, I think it plays right into what I was, what I was scratching at because we will say, this is what the world is really like when really it reveals more about us than it does right. about the world. Yes. Yes. Like our yes. perspectives and what we say, we'll say this is what the world is really like. And and really, we could look back and say, no, that is what you are yeah. really like. Yeah. Like this is what you see. Right. And and that is that is something worth examining. And people who are not quite very self-aware will will ignore the signs that say, no, actually, this this whole cloth dismissal of people groups or this whole cloth dismissal or, or like I love the, the term you used of bucketing people like just bucket like you're in this bucket. You're chucked into this bucket. You're chucked into into this category or this category or this category. And whenever anybody does that, the tendency to do that really reveals more about your uh, own either prejudices or inhibitions, your inability to. Uh, engage with ideas that differ from your own. Sure. It really says more about you than it does about the way the world truly is. And uh, I, I had a scripture to bring in, uh, and this one was, uh, it might seem initially a bit odd, but, you know, uh, the, the title really stuck out to me, Shadow of a Doubt, um, right. this idea that, you know, that's what we say in legal terms. That's a legal term that people say someone has to be proved guilty beyond all reasonable doubt or, you know, beyond a shadow of a doubt. Uh, they have to be proved uh, guilty of doing a thing. And uh, and obviously there's all these suspicions between Charlie and Uncle Charlie of exactly what's uh, what's really going on underneath the surface. And the scripture that I had thought to bring in was Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 14, which simply says, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. And I loved this notion of we can hide under all kinds of illusions, under all kinds of veneers of civility, under all kinds of veneers of, you know, geniality. And and we just you know, we're, we're just very a typical American family. We can we can hide all of that. But in the end. Uh, in some end, when, you know, to quote Lost, uh, it only ends once. Everything else is just progress. Um, when it ends, there will be an account of some sort of every hidden thing. Uh, every Not only what you said and what you did, but why you said it and why you did it. Um, and I think it's it's worth noting when we have a tendency to constantly look outward and make judgments about the world around us that... We should use that, and this is why I brought in this scripture, we should use that as a magnifying glass or as a search tool on our own heart. Well, this is how I feel about that group of people. So what does that say about the things that are hidden in my heart, whether it's good or evil? Right. Maybe I'm right. Maybe I'm wrong. But what does that say about me and about my views of of the world and of people and allow for some, you know, allow for some reflection. This is actually kind of what we skirted at when we had our conversation about rear window. Maybe it's just a Hitchcock thing is it's just the capacity of looking outward and making judgment calls when there's an opportunity to instead look inward and be self-reflective and more self-aware than you than you already are. Um, so uh, I can dig it. Uh, yeah. 
yeah, shadow of, shadow of a doubt. Everybody, you need to see this film. I loved this film very, very much. Um, and uh, yes, it is eighty years old, but I but I think it's wonderful. Now, um, as a as a final button before we we wrap this down. Why don't we welcome back our friend who's been on a three-week vacation while we've been in the bathroom? You want to? You want to? You want to welcome in our old friend? Let's do it. Let's bring old David us pumpkins to the party. It's a pumpkins party. That's right. Um, well, it's been a while since we've actually brought him in, so I'll re-acclimate uh, everybody to it that we rate these films. Uh, any movie we rate on a scale of uh, style, scares, and substance. Uh, we give a one to five rating, and then we do a little bit of fuzzy math, and then we spit out a number uh, of one to ten of David S. Pumpkins. So, for Shadow of a Doubt, Nathan, what would you give on a David S. Pumpkin scale, Shadow of a Doubt, for style? I might have gone a little more middle of the road. It did surprise me in a couple positive ways. I'm gonna I'm gonna go three point five. Um, I am uh, unapologetically biased towards this film. Sure. I'm gonna go five. Wow. Um, but I'm unap- I'm unapologetically biased towards Hitchcock's work in general, and I think this film is one of his strongest. It's one of his best. Yeah. So um so yeah, I definitely it's five for me for style. Uh, for scares, that is definitely where I would would slightly ding it down a bit. I think there's definitely some tense moments and even a couple of creepy uh, moments. But uh, yeah, this is not going to give anybody nightmares. It's palatable for for uh, a wide variety of people. So in the area of scares, I'm I think I'm going to be uh, still generous but fair and give it a three. Okay, I would um I would probably land at a two for scares. I mean, similar okay, similar sure. reasoning behind what you're saying. Um, unless you just have a severe aversion to the notion of being thrown in front of a moving train, like there's just not a lot, <laughs> um, not, not exactly. a lot beyond that. Yeah, exactly. Um, but what would you give it for substance? Um, I am going to land roughly where my style was and go with a three point five, which sounds like a ding. I'm really not trying to do that. Um, and in fact our conversation has, you know, kind of pulled a lot more to the surface that I initially would have not seen quite so much. Um, but I, I, for me personally, it's not one that I think is going to like stay with me and really moving forward. I'll have a lot of further pondering on, but I do think there's some interesting things going on and it's a 3.5. Gotcha. Uh, yeah, for me, it, uh, it echoes my style. I, uh, I've seen the film now, I think five times and every time I see it, I connect with something different. So for me, substance is a five. Um, it's uh, it's just a it's just a wonderful, wonderful movie. Yeah, and that I, I'm not uh, embarrassed by this rating at all. That means that we give it seven out of ten. That's, David S. Pumpkins. That's solid. It's solid. Yes, it's solid. It's our favorite rating that we give every film, but you know, <laughs> or like that we give most films. But uh, but it is a solid rating. We're just generous fellows. We are, we are, we like, we like giving, uh, we like giving extra points, but, uh, but yeah, Nathan, thank you so much for, for having this conversation with me and, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to continue this conversation, stay tuned to hear exactly how you can do that, uh, for our social media cues, because the fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. Um, so I want you to check out social media to see where we're going next. Uh, if the plans stay the same, uh, we've got a series that I am very, very excited about. So, um, Nathan, thanks again for watching Shadow of a Doubt and for having this conversation with me, man. I've enjoyed it. Sure thing, man. About our friendship, I have no shadow of a doubt. So, uh, I'm very, (laughs) very certain of it. And we'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys.
The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom, but not the end of the conversation. To continue this conversation, you can follow us on Twitter at The Fear of God. You can visit us on Facebook to comment on one of our posts or post there yourself. You can follow Reed on Twitter at Reed Lackey. You can follow Nathan on Twitter at The Nathan Rouse. Visit MoreThanOneLesson.com to leave a comment on this post or any of the other official episode posts. Email us, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com, all one word, fearofgodpodcast at gmail.com. And last but not least, if you listen to us through iTunes, we would greatly appreciate a rating or review. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next week.